Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legend series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. No matter who you support, which state or country you lived in or cheered for, this guy, he was just too nice not to like. But beyond that, a steely determination built from self-doubt to etch his name amongst the greats. But who is Danny Baderas? All right, Andy. Um, at the moment, I'm a father of three. Um, been married yesterday, actually, uh, 6th of Jan, 14 years. So, Happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but, yeah, I've, you know, I'm, I'm a brother. Uh, I'm a, my brother, uh, Brock, he's two years older. Mm. Um, I left home when I was pretty young, about 15, 16, to follow the dream of footy down here in Newcastle from Taree. Um, so, yeah, country fella. Um, grew up, I started playing footy at four. and then. Um, you know, got through the, the grades that I spoke about. My brother was two years older, so I'd play first uh, in my grade, and then I'd jump up and play in his grade yeah. after that. So, uh, yeah, growing up in Tari, sport was number one for me. Mm. Always um, vision playing some sort of sport most days. But uh, And then, yeah, uh, 43 years old now and uh, lucky enough to live out a dream playing footy uh, for, for the Newcastle Knights and um, some high rep games as well. So, um yeah, living out a bit of a dream. We're still involved at the game here at the Newcastle Knights um, as head of footy. So, um, yeah, it's been a big part of my life. You debuted with your beloved Knights in 97 at the most amazing time, the craziest time, but also an uncertain time in rugby league. It was the Super League year, and in all honesty, I don't think any of us knew what was happening or going to happen in rugby league. Weird times. Yeah, definitely, especially in Newcastle. I, I came down from Tarry, like I said, um, in 1995. I was 16, 15, 16, and I got offered a contract, which was just mind-blowing to me. So um, I was on $500 um, to play here at the Knights, and I got some school fees paid. And then yeah. the Super League era kicked off. I had not p- played a game for the Newcastle Knights, and um, – I got offered twenty five grand to play to to sign for um, as a baby as yeah. a baby sign for the ARL and I'm thinking what the hell's going up yeah. there in the top grade so I could only imagine what what that was all about but um, you know for, for Newcastle it was a bit of a focal point of which way it was going to swing wasn't it Super League or ARL so um, you know Newcastle Knights had a well established uh, community here yep. uh, and then the Hunter, Hunter Mariners came in so it was a, a difficult period for for the. For the uh, town, there's no doubt about that. There was some so many professional players here, and um, you know, um, people had to pretty much pick a team. Uh, players had to pick a team, yeah. fans had to pick a team. So, uh, luckily, that the Knights stayed with the ARL, and you know, you, you hear those stories that Big Chief was driving the bus down, and yep. some of the players got off the bus on the way down because they all of a sudden they've told the play the uh, other teammates they've signed with the Mariners and. So there's all these stories about um, splits in the town and splits yeah. in relationships, and I'm, I'm not sure if some of those relationships have been repaired uh, up to now, but um, 97 for me, 
finishing and seeing what the Knights did in that that year and you want to talk about football and, and how it all – I believe it's um, – both those games, you know, the grand finals were amazing. And, yep. Um, you know, the Knights winning that one and all I've ever tried to do since then uh, is, is live out some sort of experience like that, um, that those players did that day there. Um, down at Sydney Football Stadium, but it was um, now a crazy year, that's for sure, Andy. We'll rewind from the grand final of '97 to March, Sunday the 23rd, Newcastle International Sports Ground. The opposition was the mighty South Queensland <laughs> Crushers. Newcastle won 44 nil, and in jersey number 17, you went, entered first grade. What do you recall of the day? Oh, I just back then you used to stand by, um, you know. You'd play under twenty ones, President's Cup, Reserve Grade, and then you'd go through and you feel like if you got asked to stand by, you're just, you know, how good's this? And yeah. it happened a couple of times, stood by and um, you know, you used to see the bench turn around, you're sitting in the dugout and you go, oh, I'm on here, and then all of a sudden you'd sit back down because you weren't called up. So uh yeah, so I got my opportunity. You know, like you said, it was a, it was a big day for the Knights. We had a, a good win and yeah. uh, I got a chance to come on and just just float around the middle um, as a bit of a hooker, sort of a bit of a utility player, and it would just come addictive, Annie. And that was the thing for me, how addictive it was. I was just out there in the middle of the field hearing the collisions, visualising, and just going, I've, I've waited for this yeah. whole life to be amongst this. So um, it was a good day out. I remember Butsy, big Butsy, um, just how brutal he was, especially in scrums and you know, the, the collisions and all yeah. that. And, you know, so I had a really good grounding as a, as a Knights player and a, um, I guess you, a tough and uncompromising sort of era for the Newcastle Knights with Butsy, Chief, uh, the Johns boys, all these guys that just come through. And Steve Crow taught me a lot about what it, the fabric of the Knights and yep. the DNA of the Knights, you know, the coal miners and all that. So I've seen that's always been my part of my role here at the Knights over the years is to, to keep that uh, legacy going. You were used in several positions coming through the grades and basically because of injury, you ended up at hooker. It wasn't by design, really. Well, there's a little bit there. And Mal really was thinking about the focal point of the game and you know, so was Warren Ryan and yep. it's two great coaches. And you know, Mal was an amazing coach from a, a spiritual sort of um, energy. You know, you understood, kept it pretty simple, but at the same time, you know, you held to account. Yep. Very respectful. You had to never want to let him down pretty much. And then Warren Ryan came in and everyone knows what walks sort of set yep. up a lot of the plays in the in, in the game and they're still here today, you know, the block plays, all those sort of things. And um Yeah, so they sort of thought the game would start to change a little bit and a lot of hookers, you need to be quick out of there, you had to have a good pass. So a lot of halves and five eights were starting to get yep. forced into that number nine spot. But the first thing you had to do is uh I like to tackle. Yep. You know, that's defensively because you're getting some big guys running at you. So I didn't mind that part. I liked that part. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and I thought that this could be an opportunity to play first grade. I saw a, a pathway there. And at the end of the day, you had to pass the ball to Andrew and Matthew Johns. What a, what a pleasure. Yeah. So, but it, in saying that, it had to be a standard and it had to make it made me a better player knowing I had to pass the ball to, to those two all the time. You talked about halves becoming hookers. Let's fast forward to 2021 briefly. With the changing of the rules, are we going to see more halves and five eights become hookers? Yeah, I, I believe it's going to be interesting, but I believe that's that's happened over the years, yeah. you know, and I think it's going to happen again. And yep. even you might see some outside backs and. Going through, and that's from a recruitment point of view, for any club, for any recruiters, they're probably not just looking at number nines coming through. They're looking at guys that they can see contributing uh, in that area from all their points of um, you know, how quick they are, how strong they are, all these different things that make a modern-day hooker. But yep. 
Uh, you still got to remember you go back to someone like Cam Smith, you know, from a physical point of view. It's all about the mind and how smart you are in there and you can slow it down. And the good players always make the quick games look slow. Uh, they can make anything look, any speed, uh, the way they pass and, and kick and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a really important position. I think all the teams that succeed, um, very consistent teams, always have to have a good number nine and, um, you know, it's, it's a big part of recruitment. Back to you and back to the early years. Amazingly, you wouldn't play first grade for another 13 months. It was 17 months between your debut and your run-on debut. That is a long time in anyone's language. Mm. Did you have doubts maybe you didn't belong and this wasn't going to work? No, I think what happened was I guess I got a taste, and that's one thing I spoke about being addictive, so I got a taste. and But I knew I had to bide my time. I think it was a really good yep. good learning for me to go back and, and – and have a foundation and yep. um, play with some guys and learn off some guys. How do you prepare? Um, how do you co- cope losing? How do you cope winning? And how do you become a, a consistent player? And, and that starts with training and how do you train properly? And, you know, I was just a boy when I had that, that little bit of time against uh, the Crushers back in 97. So, but as I spoke about, um, I did have that, that visual of, gee, what about 97? How good yeah. is that? So I just kept on training and I just wanted to keep going with that. So it was a really good period for me to learn and hone my skills and um and I and I did that and like I said I had to have an opportunity. I saw the way that Andrew combined with his uh, Andrew combined with his number nines, Maddie yep. combined with his number nine. So I got to sit back and look and uh, I thought if I ever get an opportunity to be in there consistently, I have to have a great pass. You know, I have to really hone my pass and I have to really look after the middle. And then when they get the ball, they've got to get it. So I really developed a pass that I thought could do that, um, you know, and that comes from and training. So I was training a lot um, in the top grade, but at the same time just going back and playing reserve grade and under-21s. And so at training is, you know, pass the ball to Joe and it's not spot on. You pretty much stop the whole session, get the ball and throw it back at you and you say, go again. So really? pass, yeah, pass it pass it better. So, yeah, that's those little things when you, when you play and the toughness of it all, the, um, the mental toughness of it all, you've you got to learn all, all that and – no, I def- definitely get, didn't get thrown into my consistent first grade uh, under Dan. I was ready to go. The footy's back. Here's my first tip of the season. Make it personal. Your name, your number on your jersey at yourjersey.com.au. Official licensed NRL jerseys, retros, polos and training shirts all in the one place for men, women and the little ones too. For an exclusively unfiltered deal, go to yourjersey.com.au forward slash Andy and type Andy in as your coupon code to receive a bonus gift with any order. Gear up, legends. You grew as a footballer, but you're around a very good, grounded bunch of blokes by the majority. Did you grow as a man? Yeah, I did. I, you know, I, I had a, a good bunch of... Um, of mates, I guess you could call them. They're lucky enough to be calling teammates as well. But I came through and you know, Matt Gidley, Mark Hughes, mm. uh, just to name a couple. Um, I had so many, so many really good friends that came through. So and you still got great friends today. We yep. still train today. So um, and, and Steve Crow, as I spoke about, um, implemented the strategies of and and the DNA of what what we wanted to be about. So. He's a guy that doesn't get a lot of no. mainstream recognition, Stevie no. Crow, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't. And he's he's always he's you know he's been head of our old boys committee for a long, long time, and so he just bleeds red and blue. And yep. um, so that was a really good grounding for us all. But 
Yeah, it was a really a, a good time to be in Newcastle night. We had some, mm. some really good results. Um, you know, that that era between uh, probably ninety ninety five to two thousand and two thousand and eight, there was yep. eight years of really good good solid grounding of the club. And I'm glad we won a couple of premierships in around that time. But you know, we had some really good teams that probably fell short as well. Uh, which is without being too greedy, probably could have won another one or two. But they're hard things to win, Andy. They're, they're a big yeah. boxer tick, that's for sure. You stole my next question. How tough was 98? The game had come back together as one competition. Everyone wanted to see Newcastle versus Brisbane as the ARL and Super League Premiership winners. You guys finished the regular season second position. You went loss-loss in the finals. And from memory, it may have been the Roosters and the Bulldogs. Do you look at it now as we sit here in 2021 as a missed chance? Yeah, definitely that one and, and 2000. I think yep. that was another one as well. But, yeah, 100% right. We had a good team there. And yeah. um, just on a personal, I'd, I remember that Roosters game and um, I, I had my shoulder shattered in that game yes. and uh, had to play the next week, um, you know, with a, a busted shoulder, which needed a, a Rico after it. But that was 100. I think it went to extra time against yep. the Bulldogs the following week. So. Yeah, that's that's definitely a final series I I, visu- I vividly remember. Um, but disappointing losses to go loss mm-hmm. loss, and we um, had the players, we had the coaching, we had everything there, but we just fell short. And um, you know that that burnt, that really burnt. And um, you know we got ready for another good onslaught for the next couple of years. And um, any t- any team and any club that's got you know an immortal in it, in, in Andrew Johns, uh, when you were in for um, you know some some good successful seasons, but. Yeah, that was uh, that was a disappointing way to, to finish off a, a successful season in '98. Mal Reilly, Warren Ryan, Michael Hagen, Brian Smith, Wayne Bennett at Newcastle. You played under all of them. When you're old and grey or greyer, mm. sitting back in the chair overlooking Merriweather Beach, you had a fair list of teachers. Yeah, absolutely. That, and then you go through your and it's, oh, that's what I loved about those rep teams. You know, yeah. not, not only are you going um, into rep teams with great players, you're going into those with sensational coaches, great coaches. And you know, I loved loved Ricky for his intensity. Yep. Uh, you know, loved Gus. I loved Gus the way he prepared you for for going into battle. And you picked off all these little things, all these different coaches. And but you know, backing into Newcastle, you know, you had a good, great man manager in Michael Hagen, and the way he had to get people. Th- and there were some guys there at difficult parts of their life and, yeah. you know, they, they got through just to the weekend and had to do a lot of man managing. Uh, Warren Ryan, as I spoke about, there's a lot of plays in the game um, today that are still used from the way he made them up. Yeah. Um, Brian Smith, um, you know, he was very technically savvy, understood, wanted to be a bit of a revolutionise the game in stages and you know, be a bit of a guy that could change the game and, um, so, you know, there's so many good coaches that I did have here and um, I've taken a lot out of, um, and that's, you always need to learn something every day. I've taken something out of all those guys. And, um, but, and when you do get your own chance, uh, I was lucky enough to do a bit of coaching and now I'm in a, an administration role. There's, there's definitely put, gives you good grounding for um, how to handle people and taking the good and the bad out of all situations. Do you, do you pick things out of each one of them and they remain almost most life principles or life values and you adapt them into a business and or personal situation? I believe that for sure. I, I'm happy to um, – no, I, I feel like I learn off everyone yep. most days and um, – I'm um, on my own harshest critic. You know, that's one thing. I'd, Are you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got, you know, I, I think um, I'm always like to be happy, but at the same time, I'm, you know, if I, um, I, you know, you don't like letting people down and yep. you want to treat people the way you want to be treated, that's one thing. And I think hopefully 
all I've wanted to do out of my career is walk into a room and be respected, and I feel like I've got that as well, which has you been bet. good. So, um, but at the same time, I want to be known as a, a good person, and um, so I've never sort of let anyone down like that. But if you know, something doesn't go right, um, say at a training drill or something doesn't go right in a meeting, or I've just got to let that go, which I've had to yeah. struggle over the years to do that, and um, and and probably on the footy field, you could say that I've one of my greatest regrets is the way sometimes over a couple of years, I don't know why, but I. I chased referees around, and I remember Brian Smith came in, mate. Don't I did not want to see you do that, you know, chasing yep. referees around, thinking, you know, um, on the back of mistakes they made. Everyone makes mistakes, but at um, on the back of me, Joey and myself at times were um, going a little bit hard at it. So I've, little things like that, you know, I've looked back on, um, so you could things done things differently, but I don't think there's too many things, Andy, over my career that I've, I've changed, but. Um, yeah, being a harsh critic of myself is probably give yourself standards, I think, to, yep. to, to be a good player as well. And I'm happy to go out and, and change things that, or that I have to work on to evolve my game. On the field, was 2001 your most memorable year? Uh, your first premiership, the dreams come true type of stuff? Yeah, it was. I, I, I think um, we, had a, we had a real solid year, like I said, uh, the year before, and it was disappointing yep. the way we, you know, we went out like that. Mm. That was um, against the Roosters. Down in at the SFS, I'm pretty sure yes. when we're up 18 nil at half time yep. in the prelim, um, which now that was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. So we we narrowed our focus again for our one for a run at it, and um, had some, some speed. We had some size. We had some youthfulness, and we had some experience in it was the well team. Well balanced, well. yeah. Side, wasn't yeah, it, was, it? It, it was. It really was. And um, so <laughs> we we come up against Parramatta on that day. And speaking about having. Great, great years. They, they had like eight hundred points four, and yep. probably two hundred. You're, you're an Eels fan, yeah, you yeah. know that two hundred, two hundred points against. So yeah. they had an amazing year, but yeah. we just knew we had the players that could, you know, sort of like a match play situation. Mm-hmm. If it was to go down to a match play, going right, if we have one more chance and one more crack, I reckon we can get these guys. Yep. And um, we, we were really good on the night. We we're up twenty four nil at half time, and uh, but it was just the way we prepared, how relaxed we were, yeah. and. I learned a lot out of that series. Um, just you know, we we thought we were relaxed and looked at Parramatta and we thought all the pressure was on them and which it was and and they played that way and we played the way we played. So it was a uh, an interesting series and uh, like I said before, there's not too many times you can say you know, all the players that can tick the box and say they've won one. There's a lot that have won a few, but mm. a lot of great players haven't won one as well. Does anything stand out from the O1 Grand Final in particular? Is there one moment above all else? Yeah, I, you, you always hear the, you know, everyone loves seeing tries scored, but I love seeing tries saved. Um, yeah. I, thought, I thought that the Steve Simpson tackle on, uh, I think it was Andrew Ryan. Andrew yes, Ryan it was. At just near half time, I thought that was a, a huge play for us. And um, I find that the best part of the game for me is defending and mm. defending your line because you have to rely on your 12, 12 other teammates to get the job done. And, um, and they're just trying their best to, to to get over the line, and you just keep propelling them and propelling them, and you get so much confidence out of that. And um, you know that's that was that sort of night for us. We we had a confident night, a confident start. Uh, got a little bit close at the end, but um, in front of all our fans, it was the first nighttime grand final as yeah. well. First nighttime grand final, and and we had sixty odd buses down there, and uh, yeah, it was a huge occasion. It was a wonderful period of rugby league, a wonderful period of rugby league for the Hunter region, 97-01. I'd like to get your thoughts on some of your teammates, either as a player, as a bloke, or a story if it stands out. We'll start with Adam McDougall. Dugs, 
One of the great characters. There's so yeah. many stories about Dugs and how good he's doing in business at the moment with the man shake. So uh, everyone, you can't go past Dugs with the way he just revolutionised training, I guess you could say, yeah. in, in amongst um, he would refuse to do the roller, refuse to go on road runs, anything. It was all power. and that, Coach's nightmare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we'd train uh, the captain's run, which is the game, the, the training session before the game, and um, Dugs would just put his tracksuit on and just zipped it right up to – just under his chin, and he was just jogging. And you know, we were all running around doing a fair bit of work, and, and Dukes just trotting. And Joey would put these beautiful kicks, these cross field kicks, and just catch it, Dukes, catch it, Dukes. And he'd be about 20 meters away, just jogging and just running around. And he just refused to spend energy with it without knowing that I'm going to save it for the game. So wow. um, he, and he, he'd always bring his boots when he didn't play really well. But yep. the other one is his legs, talking to his legs. You know, that's. Um, it's legitimate, isn't it? It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How, how dare they let, let him down? You know, that's just one of these things. <laughs> Can't believe you let me down today. And you know, who are you talking to? And all of a sudden he's down on the ground slapping his legs. So Dukes is, he was one of the greats. So he, he, he brought a lot of colour to. Um, to us, and uh, you know, it's it's no surprise that he's doing really well in business. What about Robbie O'Davis? Yeah, Robbie O'Davis. Yeah, he was. You know, Robbie O. From a point of view of, um, yeah, we had some characters, didn't we? God, there's two straight off the bat. He. My next question is, who's crazier, Robbie O. or the Mad Dog? <laughs> or are we calling for a photo? Oh, geez, back in the day, as as players, yeah, Robbie brought a lot of fun to the place, um, a lot of confidence as well. I think he's one of those guys yeah. that you knew when Robbie played in your team that you, you know, there's a lot of confidence in your yep. team and. Um, yeah, I, I remember one of my day, my debut and probably bringing the ball back um, and the way he was bouncing around and he was smiling at the same time and laughing at the same time as blokes are trying to knock his head off. You know, he's just – he he's a, some sort of athlete, that's for sure, from a beep test, you know, he'd do around 16 all the time when he's doing the beep test and he's still fit as uh, today. So um, – and that, yeah, that grand final and the game he played there, the Clive Churchill medal that he yeah. received, um, you know, we – he was phenomenal that, that, that day and that night. So, uh, yeah, Robbie, Robbie's still around town. Don't see enough of him, but um, I'd, I'd love to catch up with Robbie pretty soon. What about the Chief, Paul Harrigan? See Chief every day. I, I'm lucky enough to train with Chief. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a crew called the Wolfpack. There's about 10 old ex-players that we get, get together and we, we have our uh, sessions. Um, Mark Hughes just opened up a gym. I can't believe Mark Hughes owns a gym, but he owns a gym called the Air Locker. Yep. So we, we get in there. Uh, we've got our, our little place that we train around the beach. So we get up about 5, 5.30 and head on down there. And uh, the best thing is uh, the coffee after, the coffee and the chat after. Yeah. We talk about old times. But uh, I just – Chief's just everything about leadership. Yeah. Um, I just look at Chief. Um, you know, I think for – the way he handles um, handles life, he's become pretty spiritual. I've learned a lot about that on the back of Chief. Um, you know, we've done a lot of these mountain climbs. We've been to Base Camp Everest. We've been um, you know, to Kilimanjaro. We've mm. been uh, where else? We've gone to all these other places just for raising money for the Mark Hughes Foundation. But the way he's got right behind that and to, to walk and to, to talk with Chief, um, it's you learn something every time and. Um, I'm really grateful that I get to see him every day. If you're going to war, I've always said the chief, if he's your mate, is the bloke you want next to you because he will lead the charge. Yeah, he'll always put himself first in, into that as well. You know, yeah. he's just – I love that. Another one I play with in the UK, Jamie Peacock. Um, yes. They always just used to put their boots on and say, right, they're having it today, you know, yep. and, you, and then you just go, right, I'm, I'm behind you, let's go. So they're – they're sort of guys that um, 
you know, front rowers, it's, it's the hardest job and, you know, they, they do a, an, an amazing job in that uh, in that environment when any game's physical or they have to set the scene or back in the day they used to have to set the scene. It's mm. no different today. But back then they had that, as they called, the softening up period and you know, you'd always used to see the chief ripping in and, and doing his thing. What about Matty Johns? And I think because Matty has gone on to do what he has post-career, yeah. his footballing talents have been overlooked to a large degree because yep. he's been so successful. Great. He was a wonderful, very talented footballer. And a, an amazing work ethic. I think people probably just think Matty just stands up and uh, sits down these days and, and, and be funny, but yep. he's constantly riding, constantly working at his craft. Yep. And that's what I saw here when he was at Newcastle. He's always working at his craft, always trying to hone uh, a three-step a three uh, sidestep or yep. – Trying to hone in on a, you know, the way you toss the ball up and keep it, and had the best way to dummy a footy, and yep. the best way to come off your right foot, the best way to come off your left foot. He was always, you know, he used to bring half a dozen boots to a game, you know, just, just he'd always have these different boots on. He just think, what am I going to wear today? And depending on what the grass, what was the like, grass was yeah. like, because he'd worry about his footwork, you know. Yeah. So he is uh, well prepared, and I, you know, that's like today when he does all these. Um, all his shows there for Fox. He's always well prepared, and uh, it just doesn't happen. And, and mm. that's Maddie. I think um, you know jo- Joey's got all that natural talent and natural ability, but Maddie works so hard. And you're so right, Andy. I think his, his game uh, gets overlooked because of his successful career post footy. But um, I've learned so much of of Maddie when he was here. He wasn't here long enough for me as I was coming through the grades. Um, I was always looking up to Maddie, but I didn't get enough time. But he was always happy to get someone to come and train with him. And there's a lot of private sessions, or not private, but public sessions where you just grab a couple of younger guys and, and bring them down to the park. And you always used to see Maddie kicking the ball down the park, and he'd have a couple of kids with him. What about Andrew Johns? Well, where do I start? Joey, Joey's safe place, and he's. Um, Anything that probably made sense to him was when he's throwing the footy around. I think yeah. at that time, uh, we used to look, we used to pick him up for training, Mark Hughes and myself, and pick him up for games. And uh, he was going through a lot back then, and just probably not not as much uh, education around it back then. Mm. But you know, um, once he knew what he what he was dealing with, it, it made a lot of sense with uh, with the bipolar and, yep. and things. But when he was on the footy field, that was his safe haven, and he understood that. Um, know what he had to do to win and um what happened when he went went across that that stripe was you know, that's his office and um you know, speaking about honing skill everything just becomes so natural everything was just so uh competitive everything was so physical and um and that's one thing I always say about everyone is what's Andrew John's greatest asset is his left or right is his you know is his kick what's he do what's he do in this situation I said it's just his mental strength I think that's the biggest thing and because he had to, he was dealing with a lot but once he went over and said right oh, this is me I'm on, on the field today and um, off he went and played and and played and I think with Joey and us he always had something up his sleeve with an injury at times leading into a game and I've sort of post retirement and as I got older I sort of worked it out it's because he was worried about probably not coming up to uh, the standards that he'd set. Yeah. So a bit of a fallback mechanism was McGroin was tied or yeah. all that. So we had to deal with that as a group, as, as a playing group. And, you know, sometimes it was a boy that cried wolf and that's just the way it was. And we got around Joey. We had a bit of fun with it and he had a bit of fun with it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it was just because his standards were so high. And, um, yeah, to say that I got to throw the ball to, to Joey um, 
all my career is um, not many blokes still. No one's allowed to, can say that, but it's it's a big privilege for me to be able to say that. Wonderful point you made then, how far society, how far rugby league has come in 20, 25 years because at the time Joey was labelled just a loose unit. Mm. Now there's mechanisms, there's plans, there's structures in place to be able to help a young man deal with a variety of problems. It was only 1996, 97, 98. Mm. There were no such things. He was alone. Yep. No, that's right. He was, he was there. We were dealing with the highs and lows and, mm. you know, emotions. And no, I didn't even understand it. I didn't understand what, what was going on. But at the same time, um, I just saw some vulnerability and a, and a yep. great mate and someone that um, would do anything for you. Yep. And then, but at the same time, it's, it, you just didn't understand it. And you know, I guess a lot of people close to him didn't understand it either. So, um, but yeah, it's to, to go with it, to go through it with him, and you know, I, I saw probably the best parts of it. But I'm sure that the other people close closer to him, yeah. you know, amongst his family, saw some some bad parts as well. But um, no, he wouldn't change a thing. It's that's it's made him. It's you know, it's, I think all all people that are very uh, successful or highly successful in any you know music, any form of arts or any sort of uh, sport, some of those guys have got some issues in around that part and. Um, yeah, Joey. Joey came through the other side of that, and he's to see him today with his, his beautiful family, um, you know, his kids, and how happy he is. It's uh, it, it's a, it's a real credit to him. In part two, we talk about the self doubt surrounding his appointment as New South Wales captain, the Dally M medal that doesn't take ownership at his own house, and a final game that haunts him to this day. We hope you're enjoying Andy Raymond Unfiltered. The Legends series arrives at the start of the working week. In-depth and personal interviews with some of the greatest names in sport. The Weekly Wodge drops in time for your weekend. It's fast-paced and fun with a bit of footy talk, plenty of laughs, guests and specials. On any one show, you'll hear up to a dozen superstars in 40 minutes. It's a beauty. The Blast arrives on Saturdays. It's where we wind back the clock to a game or memory with one of the athletes involved. A short listen, recalling some of the moments that make up our wonderful history. And on Sundays, starting in April, one-on-one, we talk to mixed martial artists, boxers and pro wrestlers, both current and from past generations. Podcasts like you've never heard before. Why? because it's unfiltered. Make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Andy Raymond. Then you won't miss a thing. Make sure you come back soon, legends. Legends.